You're listening to From the Field, a podcast helping ministry leaders think differently, thrive personally, and lead thoughtfully. Welcome to From the Field. My name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. My name is Tyler Dravitz. I'm the executive pastor at Ridgeline, and I also lead a company called MyXP, where we provide remote executive pastor support to churches around the country. Learn more at myxp.church. All right. Well, today we are going to finish up a series of conversations that we have been having about creating emotionally safe places. Uh, making our churches, our ministries, a safe place for people emotionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just to recap, in case you've missed any part of this, we have thus far talked about how leaders have to go first, about how w- really why you and I see emotional health as what we called the whole enchilada. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about the importance of teaching for it, and then last week had a structure for it. And this week, we want to talk a little bit about who we are not safe for. Uh oh. Yeah, which might sound kind of counterintuitive to what we're talking about, but if you think about it, if you are a people in a place that is safe for everyone, mm-hmm. you're really not safe for anyone. Right. And the example, and I understand that this is like super far fetched, but that's kind of the point. If I want my home to be a safe space for my kids, sure. I, I don't want it to be a safe place for a serial killer. If I make it a safe place for both, then it's Mm -hmm. not a safe place for the people who really need it to be. I could see, I could see why you've chosen that. Yeah, right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's really clear. If nothing else, (laughs) yeah. And so the reality is that no church should be a safe place for every single type of person. And really, in our what we have seen is that there is one particular type of person who just it's never worked. Mm-hmm. Not at Redemption, not at Ridgeline, not anywhere that we've ever ministered, mm-hmm. because this really does not fit into what we believe that it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And mm-hmm. so, in a word, it would be a person who is self-righteous. Yeah. Um, and most people know what that means, but what we want to do today is we want to take some time to actually describe expressions of self-righteousness that we have seen that maybe other people can look for in their ministries and be able to try to sift some of this out. And and we talked about the importance of saying like every single one of us struggles with self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Like I've got some things in my own life that I know that I have uh, that are a point of pride for me yeah. or that I look at and I know that I have a tendency to be self-righteous about. Sure. And, but there is a type of person who is self-righteous and doesn't want to acknowledge it, yeah. own it, repent of it. And then as a result, doesn't want to grow. Totally. And we would say someone that is just staunchly, unapologetically self-righteous, that type of person is not going to be safe uh, or is not going to be welcomed to be a part of our community because it's not just that they make people uncomfortable, it's that they make people, like, 
they're not safe. Yep. They're a source of wounding. And we have a responsibility to protect the body from people who are going to be a source of wounding. Sure. And I think even as you say that right away, what I think of when it comes to those areas that I am prone mm-hmm. to be self-righteous, it tends to be the areas that come pretty naturally or easily. Mm-hmm. I think that those things that have been so difficult, those things that I have had to learn through like pain and effort, I find myself far more empathetic to. Mm-hmm. It's the the reality is uh, the Bible calls us to a lot of things to follow Christ faithfully. And it's just inevitable that our wiring, our upbringing, our genetic makeup just makes some of those things a little easier than others. Sure. And it's just so easy for those things that we hardly had to try. Because then what you do is you look at it and say, man, I got that one nailed and I hardly tried. Right. What's wrong with you? Right. And I think that, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I just find that interesting. Yeah. So I think just as a kind of a guiding point from the very beginning, what you're really looking at is does someone have a proven track record of being unsafe for others? Meaning that they have a, not just like we all wound one another in relationships. I'm not talking about that, but if you're like a serial wounder of Mm -hmm. other people, sure. And, and I, I mean, I've seen, I've been in churches where someone like that has just been encouraged to participate yeah. and maybe even elevated to leadership oh, and yeah. they wound mm-hmm. over and over and over and no one ever has the courage to go, listen, this is not how we Get play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump in and talk about some expressions of self-righteousness that we've seen that might help people know kind of what to look out for. Yeah. So I think the first one is those people who like are totally fine and mm-hmm. almost want to lord that over others. Yeah. And I think... Uh, from their vantage point. From their vantage they're point. They're totally fine. They're totally fine. And no it, issues. It's, it's this idea where, like, even, you know, we talk about it being a place where it's okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so it's totally fine if you're unaware that you're not okay. Mm-hmm. And it's totally fine if you're unaware that you're unaware. Mm-hmm. But if you're unaware that you're unaware, because mm-hmm. we're all not okay in lots of ways, mm-hmm. and you're in a place where you decide to behave as though you are aware, and that's how you're going to kind of interact with people is mm-hmm. sort of this like, oh, you know, everyone here is so jacked up, but thank goodness I'm awesome. Yeah. Um, that just doesn't, it doesn't work out well at our church. Nope. Another, I think just to put other language on the exact same thing, like we, we talk, we've used the language of critical processing mm-hmm. and deference. Yeah. And so if you are, uh, think of critical processing as self-awareness, that mm-hmm. I'm able to look into my own inner world and the way that I behave as a result of my inner world, and I'm able to see my points of self-righteousness, my yeah. points of, like, my tendencies to wound others. Mm-hmm. That would be, then you're high critical processing. Yeah. Some people are low critical processing. They don't see that stuff. And that's okay if you're low deference, meaning that someone can sit with you and say, hey... You, I've seen you do this over and over and over again. It hurts me. It hurts others. Yep. Are you aware of this? And if they're willing to acknowledge that, then they're high deference. Totally. The combination that doesn't work is low critical processing, meaning they don't see it, and they're low deference, meaning you can't tell them. Sure. <laughs> that is that is a combination that just does not work. Yeah. And that's uh, another great illustration of that is like, especially in the first few seasons of American Idol, where people would come uh, in and they would <clears> like <throat> sing and it would be awful. 
and objectively it, awful. Yeah, and Simon made his reputation. I didn't know who Simon Cowell was before American Idol, and he made his reputation as being like that was horrible. And truthfully, it was. But mm-hmm. I mean, people would be devastated. Low critical processing, mm-hmm. low deference. Yeah, and they'd go off, and their parents and their family would be like, "They're crazy," and just like there wasn't one note that was right. No, but they left and probably still go to open mic nights at some really They're unfortunate still bars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a great example of just people who feel like they're they're totally fine mm-hmm. they have not I, and i would say i'm that i'm aware of we haven't had very i don't think we've I mean, definitely not at ridgeline we've mm-hmm. never had to sit with someone and tell them to leave what we have i don't think i think what we have had an experience of is people like some people who are quote totally fine mm-hmm. and them feeling like we talk about brokenness so frequently and we talk about woundedness so frequently mm-hmm. that it's a really uncomfortable place to be sure. if you want to function as though you are totally fine. Because totally. we believe you're delusional. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> nobody's totally fine. Right. So, <clears throat> all right. The second one would be those who, this one's terrible, uh, those who weaponize the word. Mm. We've talked about a specific example of this with you when your sister passed. Mm, oh, that's right. A yep. way that this was done. But it's it's like the, the word, it's not that. I talked last week in my message about how God's love has both a left and a right hand. Mm-hmm. It is both corrective and comforting. It's mm-hmm. both of those things. So we're not talking about that you can't use the word to correct mm-hmm. things in people's lives. You certainly can. Sure. But there's a difference between that and weaponizing scripture to wound people. Mm. Like the motive being to, well, it's not even about the motive. I think sometimes you can weaponize scripture and it's not your intent. The example, you know, of tell the story again of when your sister passed and someone from the church came over to sit with you. Oh, sure. How did that conversation go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, she had passed away. We were told that she'd have like another month. Everyone was thinking about one more trip. And then like two days after we were told that um, she had passed away. So it just took us by... Uh, surprise. Obviously, she had struggled with cancer, and we believed that that was the way, but you were still hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, you know, my mom has 10 brothers and sisters. Uh, I have like 60 cousins or something crazy like that. And um, I, like, she was the first, not mm-hmm. the only now, mm-hmm. but the first to pass from cancer. And so, mm-hmm. like, I think until that happened, it just sort of felt like we did not actually. Like, it didn't ever get you. It just, yeah. like, left you mangled. We get it. Yeah. We just don't die. <laughs> yeah, we get it real bad. <laughs> you guys are real good at yeah, beating yeah. cancer. Exactly. Yeah. Well, not anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But regardless, uh, so that's kind of where my mind was at. And so mm-hmm. I was obviously very emotional. I had just found out uh, you were on a plane to another funeral for somebody that you cared for. Yeah. And so that was, I think, um, you, like, found out as you got off the plane um, in Chicago, which is where you were at. And so there was no chance that like, you know, my closest friend would be there. So it was just a lot happening. Mm-hmm. And some of the church leadership came over and, you know, I was in, they were all men there, which mm-hmm. was definitely the problem. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> you know, as I, uh, you know, was emotional and would cry or we'd be talking and then I, you know, and part of it was like, you know, I think in some sort of way to comfort, they were like, well, and what's like, what's one of your favorite memories? And you're just mm-hmm. like, I mean, some of this is just, it's manipulative in order to make you cry. Mm-hmm. But as I was struggling with that, at one point, I think I was like, pretty shaken and one of the elders in a real rebukey sort of way was like now listen we don't grieve as those who don't have hope mm-hmm. and i was just like oh yeah wow and uh, you know and then excused them and myself from my porch mm-hmm. and i went inside and shut the door because i was just like that was i mean i will never 
uh, it's not, I shouldn't say it that way because it's God's word, but it's unlikely I will view that verse as anything other than hurtful, mm-hmm. probably until uh, God gets to explain to me otherwise. Yeah. And that, you know, <clears throat> it would the that's a great example of whether or not, I mean, I bet the intent was to comfort, but mm-hmm. so were Job's friends. Like that yeah. was their intent and they sucked. That's mm-hmm. like the whole point of them in the book. And this was an example where a, a particular verse, I would say, number one, was taken out of context, and then mm-hmm. number two was used to shame you sure. for your grief. Because right. it doesn't say we don't grieve because we have hope. It says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Right. But we still grieve. Right. Because death is not, like, one of the dumbest thing that people say is that, well, death is a natural part of life. It's sure. not. The reason that we grieve when people die is that God never intended for us to die. He sure. never intended us to experience that. And I mean, I was in good company. Jesus wept and he knew he was going to bring the guy back to life. Right. So. Like in in a matter of moments. Right. So any, any use of scripture where it is weaponized to wound people, that's like a serious, when we see a pattern of that, that's, that's, Mm -hmm. we're not safe for that kind of person. Definitely not. Uh, I think the next person who um, doesn't really work out well uh, for very long at our church is uh, those who have a savior complex. Mm -hmm. So those who see on our website that it's a church where it's okay to not be okay or that kind of thing, or they come and recognize, wow, these a lot of these people are a mess and I am great. And so here I come and let me disciple you and let me just show you the ways of the world and all mm-hmm. of that. And that's your goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, uh, I think what we have found, whether it be through our squads or things like that, um, our people respond uh, the most positively to walking through life with someone, not being like dragged along mm-hmm. behind someone. And so someone who's willing to, comfort and lead from a place that, um, uh, man, I, I can understand cause I've been there mm-hmm. and I can understand cause I'm there right now. Mm-hmm. Not, I was there, you know, 30 right. years ago before I was saved, but like, man, last week that was hard for me too, or mm-hmm. that kind Empathy of thing. Empathy and vulnerability. Yeah. Two things totally. we're really looking for yep. with people. Yeah. And so I think that idea that you're going to like save everyone and have this like, you know, minion of disciples following you around is yeah. not a great plan. And it's interesting. There's like a lot of interconnectedness to these points. Cause typically it's going to be a person who comes in, who is quote, totally fine. And they mm-hmm. know like, Oh, this place has a lot of broken people. Sure. So this is just, this is where I, I come to work because right. I'm here to save them. Yes, exactly. Rather than know all of us, including the pastor, are on a healing journey together. Sure. And so if you want to be on that journey with us and we're in different places on the journey, that's great. But if you come and you're like beyond, you're like, you're beyond the journey. Sure. You don't need it because you have no need for healing in your life. That savior mentality is, that's a deal breaker. Yeah. And I've even had people tell me, people who maybe have been Christians for a while or those types of things talk about how, you know, there's been points in their life where, you know, they've gone to church to be served and sometimes they come to serve and, and that's how they view their role in our church now. And I would just argue, I want you to do both all the time. Mm-hmm. I want you to be served and I want you to serve Regardless, And so I think that, um, yeah, just again, those people who are just like, you know, it's not about me at all. I don't need this, but you need what I have to give. Uh, That's not awesome. Mm -mm. I don't love love that. Another one would be those who demonize the sin of others while downplaying the severity of their own. Mm. And this is, I think, a little bit connected to what you were saying a few minutes ago 
which is um, that we, and I think that this, this was like the obvious fail on the part of the Pharisees, mm-hmm. was looking at the sin of others that maybe you, for whatever reason, don't struggle with, sure. and you focus all the attention there, meanwhile, overlooking all of the sin in your own life. Yeah. So rather than, and so like I've, I've used the illustration before, like there's two different ways to think about the Bible. Mm-hmm. One is to read the Bible as a mirror so that it is reflecting what is uh, where we need healing in our own lives, where we have brokenness and sin in our own lives. Or mm-hmm. you can read it like binoculars that it helps you identify everyone else's sin. Sure. And that is a way, that's when the word gets weaponized. And it also puts you in this position where you demonize everybody else's struggle, but you downplay or just flat out ignore any amount of struggle of your own. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even my vantage point, I think at one point I was definitely in this place. I, you know, at one point I was sort of like, uh, the church discipline guy. Like if there was a conversation to be had, you knew you were having it likely with me, probably someone else too. Um, and I just am at the point, I'm not here to say that there's no time and place at all for church discipline. Um, I'd be interested to hear somebody pitch me on a really good one. Uh, because I guess I just continue to come back to the place that the older I get, the more aware of my own sin I am that I just Mm -hmm. feel like I am so focused on where I'm at and what Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit's doing in my life. I barely had the time to be real worried about whether or not he's doing an effective job for you because I trust that he is. And like, my job is to point you to Jesus. Not that we don't address things, but I just feel like it is, uh, yeah, it's just way too often that that bell is rung. And oftentimes you're ringing it about things that you just don't struggle with. Right. And that's really what it boils down yeah, to. Yeah, and, and I, I would say, like, church discipline is not regular language that we use in our mm-hmm. context. No. Um, but just because it's not language that we use doesn't mean it's not something that we practice. Sure. Because, again, when it comes to church discipline, for some reason, oftentimes, I think that we tend to forget that... I, Again, it has two arms. Sure. It is formative, formative. and yeah. corrective. Yeah. We practice an immense amount of formative church discipline. Oh, sure. And meaning that we are trying to form the image of Christ in others, help people mm-hmm. position their lives for that. And there are absolutely times that we do sit down and speak into things. But it's interesting that oftentimes the churches that are super pro, like where it's almost like, God, this is a cultural value for you. <laughs> sure, yeah they almost only ever talk about corrective. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly sitting people down, blowing people up, sure. writing contracts for sin contracts for people mm-hmm. and like just bizarre, weird, <laughs> not present in the Bible stuff and, and really miss it. To me, it's like, it's like, what's broken about our healthcare system in this country and that we, we don't really like insurance companies don't do a good job of supporting preventative medicine thing, right. like preventative health things. No, not it's at all. just all about like, well, we'll fix you when you're broke. Cause then you got to pay us a buttload of money, mm-hmm. but to keep you like healthy and moving in the right direction. And I think church discipline makes the same mistake. Mm. Like, good. like we are here to, primarily help people position their lives for formation. And that is an expression of church discipline. Mm-hmm. But the weird kind where you're just the sin police, yeah. no one Checking likes you. everybody's Facebook status, just seeing like, you know, who did whatever. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think another one is those who evaluate truth at the expense of love. So those people who have that need to 
always be right and to make sure that you know that they're right. Because sometimes you're right. Mm -hmm. Like, just sometimes you're right. I think, again, uh, I was really a right person. And I think, uh, you know, the... The thing I would give is, you know, sometimes people would say, you know, Tyler, you always have to be right. And my response to that, even then, in my need to be right in that conversation <laughs> was, uh, it's not that I always have to be right. It's that I refuse to engage unless I believe that I am. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that you haven't heard me, like, you know, take issue with something that and that I was wrong is because I might have sat there with an opinion, but if I didn't think I was right, I wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. uh, and even still, just because you're right doesn't mean that you should, like, carry around the right club and smack people around with it. Nobody likes that. And it's really, uh, you have to trust that like other people are on a journey as well mm -hmm. and they might not be at the same place as you. And they might be at a different plot or on a different path that's headed the same place. Mm -hmm. But the journey that God has for them is totally different than the one he has for you. And you uh, focusing on your rightness, both in your own mind and ensuring that that's, uh, you know, agreed upon in the minds of others. It's just a yeah. bummer. Yeah. Our friend Denise Mewborn <clears throat> taught uh, a few weeks ago and she talked about how she taught out of John one and how Jesus was the full measure of both grace and truth. Mm -hmm. Love and truth would be the language yeah. that we're using here. And, um, we are, we all do tend to be bent one way mm -hmm. over the other. Yeah. And somehow in a way that like we just, will never get perfect, but should strive for Jesus was the full measure of both. Sure. And so we're not talking about, um, not caring about truth, not mm -hmm. calling sin, sin, not speaking into things that need to be spoken into and corrected, but there is just a real tone amongst a lot of American Christians these days that, that is just completely void of sure. love. Yeah. I just read a tweet actually about an hour ago that someone said, it's a really interesting uh, evangelism strategy to constantly demonize the people you're supposed to be trying to reach, mm. which if you think about it, is like, <laughs> that's, we do a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of like, these people are so evil. These people are so bad. These people like, well, cool. They don't want anything to do with you or your God because mm -hmm. of the way that, that we have behaved toward them. Yep. So <clears throat> again, we're, we're not talking about um, getting rid of truth by any means, but it is a major problem when we elevate truth at the expense of love. It's mm, good. Last one is uh, just this type of person who prioritizes their own personal convictions over relationship. Mm. And man, did 2020 and 2021 give us lots of opportunity for Ooh. that, where we elevated our politics, our... Um, convictions about social issues, mm -hmm. our convictions about masks and mm -hmm. vaccines and all of this stuff. And a lot whether of... Whether or not science is true, <laughs> yeah. things like that. Whether facts are a thing. Right. It's gotten weird. It's it gotten has. real weird. Uh, we, we've called in <clears throat> question things I didn't even know were allowed to be questioned. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, it is a, it is yeah. a problem when we yeah. can't even agree on the... like. Are there facts? <laughs> right. That makes conversation tough. Mm -hmm. But there, there was. It was a. It was hard for me. Like it was a mm -hmm. constant, because I do. I am like some people. I I admire people that 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 just don't seem to like really get like amped about very much stuff. Sure. Like they're just kind of cool and calm. Yeah. I I tend to feel all the things I feel pretty profoundly mm. and deeply. Really? Did you know that? Yeah. Hmm. Don't don't get judgy, okay? <laughs> We're cut from the same cloth on that. Only front. when it comes to Costco. <laughs> yeah. 
So, <clears throat> but but a lot of the time we were taking these things that again are not necessarily they're, they're not word of God issues. Mm-hmm. They are personal conviction issues, and we elevated them over relationship. And the reason I think that's problematic is <clears throat> when Jesus talked about how the world would know that we are his disciples. Mm-hmm. He he didn't talk about theology. He didn't talk about any of those things. He talked about that the, the primary, the chief marker would be the way that we love one another. Mm-hmm. That there should be something distinct about the way followers of Jesus do relationship. And I think in one of the most counter-cultural ways that we can live right now is that we can be a people who choose relationship over our personal convictions. Yeah. So hold your convictions. Those are fine. Yeah. I have strong convictions about how COVID was dealt with. And I have sure. strong convictions about that systemic racism is a thing in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I have strong convictions about some increasingly both what I would say are both political and biblical issues. I've got strong convictions on those. And I want to be able to be in relationship with people who yeah. who don't see eye to eye on those things. But we turned over roughly 50% of our church in the last two years, mm-hmm. and it was because of those three things. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're if you in a situation where you believe that your pastor needs to agree with you on everything you think about life, mm-hmm. um, you need to plant your own church and mm-hmm. be that pastor because <laughs> then you will, and even still. It'll just I, be you at even it. Even but... <laughs> still, I don't always agree with my own thinking. So yeah. I'm not, I think I, it would be problematic there. But I just think this like unbelievable problem with the, the big C church that we mm-hmm. can't just disagree. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people that I love deeply that I, strongly disagree with like just just very passionately think that they're wrong Mm -hmm. but a couple of things one I don't need to bring that up every time I see them right see the previous point where you don't have to elevate truth at the expense of love because your truth may not be the truth as we Mm -hmm. talked about a minute ago I'm not sure that that's a thing anymore apparently (laughs) and so that's problematic Uh, I also think just being willing to you know I mean we have uh, so at our church um, I have been more blessed by those who like disagreed mm-hmm. with things that we thought on COVID, you know, and mm-hmm. if you haven't listened to the podcast, we were like pro what the CDC said. Yeah. I think that's a big idea of how yeah. to go about it. Yep. And we had some people that, I mean, I don't think it's possible for them to more passionately disagree with that perspective. Mm-hmm. And it didn't come up all the time. Mm-hmm. And when there was a rub because of a protocol thing or whatever, I mean, it was a reasonable conversation. Yep. Um, it was, you know, willingness to like bend as much as we could by mm-hmm. still fulfilling our agreement to our rental space, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and meanwhile, like, uh, you know, the people I'm thinking of right now, I probably disagree with them on just about everything just period. Yeah. Probably food, probably mm-hmm. music, movies, yeah. all the things. And I love that. But what like, you hold in common is you both love Jesus and you both love our church and think that that's right. because I think what's so sad is that like, obviously we're not, not going to name people yeah. on this, but they don't listen anyways. Yeah. There's, there's maybe based on like I'm running faces in my mind, there's like five people still in our church mm-hmm. that were able to do that. Yeah. And the rest of them left. And right. what here, here's what like people have to understand is like as a church, like whoever is in charge, like had to make decisions about things. Yep. And you're going to make those decisions based on because you're the one that has been that is in a position to make those decisions. You're gonna make the decision that you believe to be best. Mm-hmm. And there you're as a parishioner in the church, you're not necessarily gonna always agree with that. Right. But <clears throat> if it's not a sinful decision, yeah. 
this is one I, we've got a couple in our church. This is one of my favorite things they always say. Anytime I bring some kind of change thing to them, yep. their thing is always like, as long as you're faithful to your, your family and it's not sinful, then we're, we're good. Yeah. Like that's the only, that's their criteria. Right. Cause otherwise they're like, well, you're the one that is that here to lead. So make the decision that you feel like we need to make and let's right. move forward. And there's just such a severe inability to do that. And sure. I mean, I got accused of like the most ridiculous things mm-hmm. when the reality is we just disagreed about an issue that totally. was a big issue, but like the, like the need to call every difference of opinion sin I just think is a real problem. I mean, I, I, due to a difference of opinion on the way discipleship works, like we were accused of causing someone to fall back into sin for like a six month period. Yeah. I just feel like that that's intense, man. Yeah. Um, and I do, I just think like being in a place where we can just disagree, Mm -hmm. like they'll, you know, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Yeah. And that is in horrible shortage right now. And I think, yeah, like you don't have to agree. I also like, and if you don't agree with what the leadership of this church has decided, I'm probably not going to give you a mic to talk about it. No. (laughs) Start your own. I did that. (laughs) You know, totally. Whatever. But all that said, I just, yeah, I wish that we could just, you know, disagree. And there are times where when the disagreeance is like deep enough or on important enough, more theological issues, that's why God's called a lot of men to plant Mm -hmm. a lot of churches. Mm -hmm. And so find one where it resonates with you. But again, if you need to be in alignment on everything uh, and you currently believe you are, I'm here to tell you, you don't know your pastor very well. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's just true. It's good. So yeah, I think just to come back to where we started, what you're really looking for, if you were to ask a question, you need to make a distinction between being uncomfortable and being unsafe. I think that's really, really important kind of dividing line. Mm -hmm. There are like, the church is always going to be filled with weird people, right? Like I I embrace the fact that like, I got a lot of weird things about me. Mm -hmm. I'm not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, uh, careful because I'm for you. You're stuck. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but so there, there are times where we are going to have differences of opinion. We are mm. going to see things differently and that's going to be uncomfortable. Right. And that's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. There's a difference between being uncomfortable and being unsafe. Yeah. And, and this is, I think like, especially I would, I would, what I think a, a point of uh, advice, I guess, at best, or take it for what it's worth, that I would give to those listening who are younger. Younger, I'm 42 almost, so mm-hmm. younger than me. Sure. Um, make sure you know the difference between being uncomfortable and being unsafe. Yeah, it's not the same good. thing. Because there are a lot of people in our culture that just because they feel uncomfortable, they immediately ring the bell of I'm unsafe. You're not sure. unsafe. You're just yep. uncomfortable. And we live in a world filled with billions of people who don't all see the world the same way. So there's going to be stuff that's uncomfortable and that is okay. Yeah. But unsafe is like wounds are being inflicted upon me. Sure. I'm experiencing trauma because of this person. I'm being attacked by this person. Yep. And so really, really doing the work to discern is the issue that this person just makes me uncomfortable because they're right. different. Or is this person really chronically unsafe for our community? Sure. And that needs to be spoken into. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I think even from my perspective, that's what I'm always trying to pay attention to anytime I'm, meeting with someone from our church or they bring up an interaction that was like a little off with someone else Mm -hmm. at the church. I always like dive into that, Mm -hmm. not to like turn it into a gossip session, but what I'm looking for was did somebody do something wounding Mm -hmm. or like, are you just reflecting on that person is made 
still in the image of God, but mm-hmm. very differently from me. Yeah. And that's just like, gotta be okay. Yeah. Cause, cause that, I mean, the moment that everyone has to be the same, everyone has to be like us, every, all of that, like I'm all done. It yeah. just is not worth it. And no. so I think there's beauty in that and yep. it's, it's awkward and it's messy and we can deal with that. And to your point, uh, lots of uncomfortability, mm-hmm. but, uh, by God's grace, hopefully never unsafe. Yeah. And, and when that happens, you're going to have to go. Yep. It's good. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this series. Hopefully, it's been helpful to you. Next week, uh, we're going to have a conversation. Um, A lot of people listening may not know. We are actually getting ready. We're leading our church through a really significant transition. Yeah. Um, And we are taking a three-month period to cease Sunday morning worship services. Mm -hmm. We are going back to a core group. Uh, season mm-hmm. for July, August, and September, uh, hoping to relaunch our church come the end of September as Formation Church. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, ton of thought <laughs> and prayer and conversation and counsel have gone into that decision. So, we're just going to have an extended conversation next week about all that's gone into that mm-hmm. and why we've made that decision. And there might be, I, I just know a lot of churches are in this place where. They're having this sense of like, man, the church that came out of COVID is totally different than the one that went into it. Sure. And what do we do with that? Totally. And it's it's not one of those things where uh, it's a lever you should reach for regularly. Yeah. But it may be one, you know, as we kind of walk through where we're at and why and how and all of that, it might be one worth reaching for. Yeah. On your it own. might be time for like That's for right. us, like we really feel like it's time for a new chapter. Yep. And our identity has shifted so much over the last few years that we really needed to align around that. So. We're going to talk about all that next week. We're really excited about that. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, As always, we would love to be able to connect with you on social media. So you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. You can find me at the same platforms at at Tyler Dravitz. That's D-R-E-W-I-T-Z. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh, your stupid water jar. Between that and my clearing my throat today, this has been sloppy. It's a little rough.